fake it till you make it because if you can just find something within you to pull deep and have the bravado to get you up there in the first place, nine times out of 10, you'll follow through and you'll walk off that stage and you'll think, oh God, I did it. I did it. I don't know how, but I did it. And then every time you do that, you're putting confidence money into the confidence bank. I'm Katrina Blowers and welcome to Claiming Your Confidence, the podcast dedicated to reframing the confidence conversation and uncovering the hacks to conquer fear, imposter syndrome and the self-doubt holding us back from chasing our big dreams. I believe courage is contagious. So each week I'll bring you heart to hearts with my favorite people sharing their biggest confidence challenges and how they overcame them and inspire us with gems of wisdom they've learned along the way. Thanks so much for listening. Claiming your confidence starts now. Bianca Dye is a trailblazer for women working in radio and she's a breath of fresh air for any woman who listens to her. That's because what you see and what you hear is exactly who she is. She's warm, she's cheeky, funny, and so, so real about everything going on in her life from mental health issues to her fertility struggles. You feel like she's your best friend. Lucky for me, she's been in my circle since we worked together at Nova in Sydney. She's a three-time winner of Australia's best radio personality and over a 20-year broadcasting career, she's entertained listeners on major radio networks across Australia with a number one rating breakfast show on the ARN network. She's anchored her own show on Foxtel and is a regular on commercial television. In this funny and insightful chat on claiming your confidence with Bianca Dye, she tells us how her biggest lessons on confidence came from growing up with a famous dad. She has some pretty incredible stories from her childhood, how she literally ran away to join the circus, how you are enough has become her mantra, how to put confidence in your confidence bank, why she's shameless about promoting herself, but how it can come at a cost, the type of confidence she needed to pose nude in a women's magazine, this is just amazing, and going public about anxiety, IVF and her miscarriages. And for everything we mentioned, you can check out in the show notes over at www.katrinablowers.com. I just know you're going to love this chat with Bianca. I feel so lucky to have her in my life and she truly is just a beautiful, generous woman who has so much wisdom to give on this topic. So let's talk confidence with Bianca Dye. That's where I wanted to start our chat today because I wanted to set the scene for everyone. So what are you wearing and where are you? Okay, very funny story. I got talked into buying these um, active wear pants by this woman who basically, without realising it, totally insulted me and called me fat because she basically said they're really stretchy and, like, so when you're bending over to downward dog, your belly, like, they won't roll over your belly. And I just looked at her and went, (laughs) what belly, you bitch? (laughs) And I went, no, it's all good. There's a belly there. Thank you. We've all acknowledged it. Thank you. And she was right. 
They're the comfiest freaking things I've ever owned and they're so daggy and they stretch with me and so I live in them and I'm wearing a t-shirt which a really cool Brisbane chick gave me. Oh my god, your friend, the comic witch girl. Yes, yes. She says, can't grab my pussy. It sounds horrendously rude, but it's um it's her beautiful design. Um, and it's at Karmic Witch if you want to check her out on Instagram. Um, yeah, those T-shirts are the best. And where are you? Are you in your house? Out of Trump. I'm in my house and I'm looking, I'm surrounded by boxes because we're packing and um, I'm looking out and you know what? It's such a beautiful day and whenever it's sunny, no matter how shizen my house looks, if the sun is streaming through the windows, I am happy. So I'm good. Yes. Now we should point out we are friends in real life and we yeah. used to work together in radio back in Sydney, back in Nova Day. So I've only ever known you as being amazingly successful and confident. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know that every journey has a beginning and that you don't just get to be born confident. So I wanted to take us back to little Bianca, which I haven't spoken to you too much about. And you had a childhood that was pretty different to most of us in that you had a famous dad. Your dad's Izzy Die. And your dad, I learned when I Googled him, supported like Roy Orbison and the Beach Boys. That's insane. I know. Dad, um, Dad was pretty big in his day and if he's listening you're still big now dad you are yeah um I mean he is actually probably the hardest working really one of the hardest working people in rock and roll he's never earned a dollar from anything else but rock and roll and singing and I'm so proud of him for that and we definitely have our different views on things and we've had big barneys over the years and not talked for a while because we're so bloody similar um but he yeah I grew up I did have a very unusual childhood so for me, I have distinct memories, and I'm going to sound like a wanker, but who cares? It's our podcast. We can do whatever we want. I'm your yeah. podcast, but I'm your guest, so I can do whatever I want. Um, Beyond for this little moment in time. this yeah. tiny 15 seconds in time, I'm going to say that um, he used to take me, like, okay, so for school, for show and tell, I would come in and I used to say, oh, on the weekend, we went to Don Lane's house and we had a barbecue, and oh I could just remember teachers, like, saying things like, okay well we don't need to make things up we can um we can you can say what you really did on the weekend <laughs> and I'm like yeah we went to Don Lane's house and we had a barbecue like that was a normal weekend for me I couldn't understand why people thought you know and then I, I brought a picture of myself and Olivia Newton-John in the <gasps> show and tell because to me I didn't realize what a big star she was when I was little we used to go to Olivia's as well because my auntie used to make a lot of her clothing made a lot of her costumes for Xanadu Oh, my God. I know, right? So I've got a bit of a showbiz family, not just Dad. My auntie Fleur made stuff for Freddie Mercury, Queen, Ozzy Osbourne, Elton John. Like she really was seamstress to the stars. And so it was nothing for me to hang out with these people on the weekends and I just, you know, I wish there was Instagram back then because I could have really had some fun. But so it was normal for me and even now when I'm out for dinner or if I'm with new people and I drop it into conversation, I really feel like a tosser saying things like, oh, yeah, 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 my mum when she went to LA, she stayed with Olivia and, you know, people sort of look at you and you think, but that genuinely was my childhood and I'm not saying it to, you know, I guess the tall poppy syndrome hit me hard as a kid because, you know, I went to a normal high school where everyone was like, oh, stop being a wanker. No one cares that your dad's on TV. He used to do these TV commercials for Footscray Markets and I used to cop it. So I'd go to school and all the boys would start singing, Footscray Market, is it the best? 
cheaper the prices and the worst because that was the song that my dad used to sing on the TV and I used to cop it. I remember going backstage at ABBA, all that kind of stuff. So I guess I had a cheeky childhood and I I got my confidence pretty early because my dad, as you say in, in Jewish terms, had a lot of chutzpah and I watched him as a very eager three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, because he took me everywhere with him in his world of showbiz. I watched him have chutzpah and I think that sort of stuff, it does, it just rubs off on you. Mm-mm. What sort of stuff did you see your dad do? Well, for the sake of the podcast, he never tagged <laughs> my jazz ballet teacher. Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> anyway. I could never go back to that jazz ballet class. But anyway, he uh, I didn't actually see him shag her, uh, but I found out pretty quickly when classes stopped why. Um, so, oh, Dad used to host things. Um, he, you know, thinking about growing up on the Gold Coast, he hosted the opening of Sanctuary Cove with Bob Hope. Um, wow. I remember seeing him do that at the age of 13 and going, wow. And my dad just had this incredible veneer of confidence and I'm sure underneath he shat himself like every other performer but he would just he would get up on that stage and there was this real sense of fuck everybody else I'm the one hosting it I'm going to get out there and make the most of this I never saw my dad um seem like he was nervous I honestly yeah. he, he would take those nerves and kind of he'd jump around like a Mexican jumping band he's got so much energy and he'd be like and he'd jump up and down and he'd sort of get the energy out by jogging on the spot and he'd go, all right, baby, we're on stage in 10 minutes. And I just wow. remember him getting goosebumps thinking about it. I used to remember being around him and getting that vibe and, and getting excited about being on stage and, and obviously I've, I've picked that vibe up myself. And, um, and so for you, that, that world of showbiz then, did it always hold an allure as something really exciting and magical? It did, I guess, because every day was different. You know, Dad hosted the opening of a big place in Surface Paradise called The Forum, and I remember going with my friends and we were all young and, in, you know, 13 years old and we're all standing around watching Dad on stage commanding everybody and he never missed a beat. He was always cheeky and he never, he was never short of a word. He always had the audience laughing. He was always inappropriate, so inappropriate. Like now, I don't know how he gets away with it, but he was always really naughty and cheeky. And if a chick walked past, he's on the microphone, he'd go, G'day, baby, nice legs, you know. <laughs> I'd imagine that working now, but, you know, that was the 80s. And um, he worked with some really big names. I remember he hosted a big Young Talent Time event at the Marina Mirage on the Gold Coast, and I got to meet Danny Minogue. And I was like, all right, oh, wow. put a fork in me, I'm done. I've met Danny yeah. Minogue. Yeah, that's it. I can... <laughs> I can die happy. Do you know what's hilarious, though? Fast forward to 2006 and there I am interviewing Danny Minogue in the Nova Studios in Sydney and having such a laugh with her. I called her Danny Fanny and she and I, I was allowed to call her Danny Fanny for the whole interview. She told me where she got her Roberto Cavelli sunnies that was 600 bucks and I remember thinking, <laughs> I'm going to ring them and see if I can get a free pair. And uh, <laughs> Because I didn't have 600 bucks but I could hustle a free pair but I couldn't afford 600 bucks. And they did. They ended up giving me a free pair. It was quite funny. Wow. And um, wow. that, that just that's another thing I learned from my dad, the ultimate hustle. And totally dropped the Nova name about 20 times, <laughs> as you do. But Danny and I had this funny chat and I said, wow, I met you when I was, you know, 12 and my dad was interviewing you on stage and here I am interviewing you now. It was just surreal, I guess, but that's been yeah. my life. Yeah. Now, one of the things that I learned about you when I did the Le Google was that you were ducks of your high school at Brighton High School in Melbourne. I didn't know that. 
it's not a badge I wear a lot because I think people think I'm bullshitting when I say that. Um, because I say, look, I ducked high school and then I, you know, went, started to, you know, applied for all the universities, but then I, I ran away with the circus, which is a true story too. I joined the Moscow circus. So, um, <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. It, you know what I put it down to? I am not the smartest person at my school. And I feel that I ripped off some students, including, um, <laughs> my best friend, Sarah, who is still a bestie today and who I adore and love. She was way smarter than me and she should have beat me. Um, I think it was a testament that my dad had said to me because I was choir captain, drama captain, or she was drama captain, I was choir captain, I can't remember. We were absolute nerds. But the funny thing was we were the nerds that snuck out on a Friday night and worked in nightclubs without our parents knowing till 3 o'clock in the morning and then would sneak back in, get up the next day, pop some no-dos, study all day and have an exam Oh, my gosh. I don't know how we did it. We had so much energy. I could never do that now. But we were seriously working in nightclubs in year 11 and 12. That was how we earned our cash. And none of our parents knew. We used to literally sneak out the window at 10.30, start our shift at 11 and climb back in at like 3.30 a.m., one or two nights a week to earn a bit of extra cash. And um, I've told my mum since then and she's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I used to hear you occasionally, but I stopped worrying about you because I thought, oh, well, you'll be fine. Again, ladies. Um, (laughs) very early nineties. And, um, I worked really hard and my dad, I also had a job at 7-Eleven and I also had a job at McDonald's. Good old Maccas. Oh goodness. When did you have time to study? Well, I did. I had a very full life and I think I, look, I was a very probably OCD child and my, both my parents are very OCD. And so I think my dad saying to me one day, you're not going to do it, you know. You're going to fail school. You're not going to make it. You can't do all this. You can't do everything. You can't. You're going to fail. And I just, I must have just thought to myself, stuff you. I'm going to do. If someone says to me, you won't do it, it is the biggest red flag to a bull for me. I've always wow. been very stubborn like that. So I, I worked my butt off. I had butcher paper all over my bedroom. And it was all quotes because I did Shakespeare and literature and King Lear and Australian studies, which was the best bludge ever. And, um, you know, I just worked my butt off. So I I did easy subjects and I worked so hard and I, you know, I was that hustler that, you know, got hold of the exam from the previous year and we were told that it was very similar, all the exams were similar. So I just studied and studied that, you know, those exams. And I, I, I literally only beat the second person by about four points. But yeah, I did ducks my school. And still to this day I think, how did that even happen? <laughs> do, you think when dad, do you think when your dad said to you you're gonna fail, do you think he knew that that would actually have the opposite effect and fire you up? I mean, how did he used to talk to you about uh, what you should do in order to face opportunities? Look, I love dad, but my dad is old school, you know <sighs> I want to say not refugee, but came over here. My grandparents were in, my grandmother was in Auschwitz concentration camp in Germany, Mm. watched most of her family be murdered at the hands of the Nazis. And so there's a lot of stressful DNA that comes through my family genes, um, none of which anyone in my family wants to actually talk about. But, you know, it's probably too late for therapy for all of us now. But there's so much there. And my dad, I know now it was tough love because as a child, he got a scholarship to go to a a really cool school in Melbourne, Mount Scopus College, which was a private, he's a private Jewish school, which is really expensive. Um, He was very lucky to get a scholarship for that. And he just was tough love, man. He worked his butt off for everything. He's worked so hard his whole life. 
Um, and I'm so proud of him. But unfortunately, you are what your parents make you. And his parents obviously didn't know how to communicate with him. His parents obviously weren't good at talking to him. And thus he wasn't good at talking to me. He would yell at me. He would put me down. He would, you know, um, really shit on my confidence, to be honest. Mm. Um, and, I, and I always said that I was either going to grow up to be a quiet child because of my dad or I was going to grow up to be loud and fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny how on different people that kind of how you brought up can yeah. have completely different impacts? And I'm sort of the same in that everything that I've done is because I've I felt like I've had something to prove mm. and it has been a big part of, you know, getting my parents' attention and showing them oh that God, this is what I can do. Too. That's me too. Yeah. I honestly used to do half of what I used to do just to say to dad, I can do this. I am I am good enough. I am worthy. And it, honestly, and I'm going to write a book about it one day, I'm, at 46, I actually now have to sit and look at myself and go, I am enough. And I have I have little quotes around the house and one of them is, you are enough. I am enough because I've always felt I wasn't enough. I wasn't good enough. My, you know, when I wanted to be an actress and do TV, Dad would say to me, "You know, you've got a fat ass. You won't get it. You won't get work with a fat oh, ass." Wow. The thing which you was, totally didn't, because I've seen the photos of you. <laughs> I know my dad has a warped idea of a fat ass. Let me tell you. <laughs> but the thing is, if I said that to him now, he probably doesn't even remember saying it. It wasn't yeah. that he was an abusive father and that he would sit there and say that. He was from that old school kind of. Well, if you want to make it in TV, you better lose a bit of fucking weight. You know what I mean? Like he he didn't – I mean, I'm making excuses for him now. He shouldn't have spoken to me like that and, and I would never speak to my child like that, but I learnt that the hard way. But I don't I don't get angry at him anymore. I've let all that go. I've had to yeah, because yeah. otherwise you just hold on and you realise that you're drinking the poison, not them, because they're out living their life and they've forgotten all about all the things they've said to you and you're holding on to it and it's affecting – like even now. Even now with, with everything that's going on in my life, there's a part of me that wants to say to everyone, I'm okay and I've done this and have you read my bio? Do you know who the fuck I am? And then I think no one cares. And at the end of the day, <laughs> shush, Bianca, because the only person that matters right now is you, as in me and what I think of myself and how I'm going in my journey. But it takes such a long time to even get to the to the tip of that, you know? It really does. And a lot of inner confidence to be able to sit in that space of knowing that yep. you are enough. I love that. I love it. So let's go back to the end of year 12 where you could have probably studied medicine. You could have done anything and yet you became a ringmaster for the How did this happen? Roll up, roll up. Come and see the Jewish girl not know how to speak Russian. It was so funny. I Look, to be honest, and that's why I felt like a fraud in year 12 because I, I, everyone wanted me to be a lawyer because I come from a good Jewish family and, you know, become a lawyer. But I actually missed out by, and I'm not exaggerating, one point, whatever that meant. It was one point off law. So, like, if you had to have 498, I got 496 or 97, something that close. But I actually think it was the most beautiful intervention from the universe because I was always meant to be a performer I was never meant to study that's I was not meant to be a lawyer I don't think oh um, no I love the idea <laughs> of it like I love the idea of going to law and being smart and going to Monash Uni and just you know being a law student it sounded great we'd have lattes and we'd go to the markets on weekend and oh, yeah I don't know it just sounded good it sounded like something out of a movie but then the reality of four years of study I thought ooh. So I then reapplied for a Bachelor 
of media, um, Bachelor of Media Journalism. I'm not calling that the right name. can't remember what it was, but it was like a journalism degree, but from RMIT. Mm. So it wasn't a university degree. It was like a Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. And I, I had a gap year, travelled a bit, um, met all the wrong men, Christ, worked in nightclubs. God, I don't even remember what I did that year. It's so long ago now. <laughs> and, then, um, and then I um, started my uni degree of oh, whatever it was, um, degree in media, and I, I was six months in. And my dad, this was thanks to dad, he was good friends with Michael Edgley, who the Edgley family own the Great Moscow Circus, or they used to. And Michael Edgley was a big promoter then. He was like a frontier touring kind of person and used to bring in a lot of big acts. And the Moscow Circus was one of them. And they rang dad and said, we need a ringmaster for the Moscow Circus to travel for six months around regional Australia. And they originally asked dad and he said, oh, look, I can't. I can't do that. Like he'd had two young kids then, um, my little brother and sister, Ben and Alex, who are um, from my stepmom, Janice. And so he was like, oh, I can't leave and do all that, you know. And then he didn't think about it. And then he rang them the next day and he said, have you thought about a female? Because they were just assuming it was a male kind of gig. And um, it was nice of him to think of me, really, because Dad was old school where it was, you know, the men host those kind of things and the women just look good and, you know, roll the barrel at the mm. side and be Nikki Buckley, you know. So yeah. it was really cool that he suggested me for it because they came back and said, yeah, we'd love to try Bianca. And then I just deferred my uni degree for a year and never went back and ended up travelling with the Great Moscow Circus. And, God, that was – that was there's some stories there. But I travelled – right up to I just about got to Mount Isa and I left before Mount Isa because I was going crazy. (laughs) One of of the things I wanted to ask you about is that they didn't really accept you right away because A, you weren't Russian, B, you were a woman Mm -hmm. and you were young and you kind of appeared out of nowhere. So for you, and I read a story where you said you were on the tour bus and you were ignored and they would speak in Russian, you wouldn't know what they were saying. How did you dig deep to get that self-belief that you were on track, that you could do this? You know, it isn't until you actually said that that I really thought that I would, that I had to dig deep. So again, I think in that default, my default was to, was to be, I don't want to say obnoxious because I don't think anyone who knew me then or now would ever say I'm obnoxious, but I want to say arrogant. I want to say obnoxious. I want to say stubborn. I don't know. If you put them all together and mix them up, I was very like, um, oh, well, if you don't like me, it's too bad because they've hired me and I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. So I just went out of my way to try and win them over with my charm. And and I did in the end, but it did take quite a while because I was this blonde uppity 21-year-old who had just come from being a Marilyn Monroe impersonator at like, (laughs) you know, at the Gold Coast Function Centre, you know, singing, diamonds are a girl's best friend when people walk in the door and handing them a fucking brochure or something like seriously I did every gig under the sun it was so tragic and I had this chutzpah as I said from my childhood which good and bad gave me this bravado I'm going to say because it definitely didn't come from a place of true confidence it was bravado but you know fake it till you make it because if you can just find something within you to pull deep and have the bravado to get you up there in the first place, 
Nine times out of 10, you'll follow through and you'll walk off that stage and you'll think, oh God, I did it. I did it. I don't know how, but I did it. And then every time you do that, you're putting confidence money into the confidence bank. Oh, I love that. Don't you reckon I that's true? That. And you'd be the yes. same. Like every time I get out on stage, even as a 46-year-old, and I've been doing this for nearly 30 years, on my first gig was emceeing a Melbourne Cup day at um, Fisherman's Wharf when I was 16 on the Gold Coast. My dad got off with the gig and he couldn't do it, but he said, my 16-year-old daughter can. And I hosted a whole Cup day. Like, I don't know if you've hosted a Cup day, a bloody hard event, you know. You've got your hat parade, you've got pissed old ladies trying to, you know, get more than their free two champagnes up at the bar. You've got to like seriously <laughs> look after the crowd. It was a big gig. And the fact that I pulled that off um, is testament that I was ready for the circus. But I did have to dig deep because it was, I was essentially bullied. Essentially I was bullied disgustingly. And, and looking back now, I, you know, if it had happened now, I would just go up to the manager and go, look, these guys are being disgraceful. We need to sit down and mm. have a bit of a mediation because there's obviously issues because of the, you know, the the fact that we don't speak the same language and they think I'm an uppity little blonde tart from the Gold Coast and they were right. And I thought they were rude Russians with no manners and I was right. So, Mm. you know, we just needed a mediator, but it was 1992 and no one gave a shit about, you know, being PC or HR or any of that. You know, I got paid my cash at the end of the week and if there was horse shit on my shoes, I had to go off and clean it. Like it was just, you know, it was just a rough gig. But it really set me up for showbiz because I had to go on stage every night and that audience was there no matter what, one o'clock show, six o'clock show, every day, and I just had to smile and push through. And I think oh it really set me up for a and I guess. That that sort of that turning having to turn on that razzle dazzle yeah. no matter what is going on mm. in your private life. I mean, I guess yeah. you would have seen your dad having to do that, but for you to do that yourself, that takes a lot of grit. It does. And the thing is, I don't know where that grit came from back then. I honestly think again it was bravado and fake it till you make it because I watched my dad and I and I had a and I had a confidence because he threw me into the spotlight without me having a choice as far as hosting stuff. Don't get me wrong, I could have said no, I wanted to. But what I mean is as a child, if you're thrown into certain situations and it's sink or swim, if you swim, then you just keep going back into the water, don't you? Because you think, oh, yeah, I didn't sink, I swam. And as I said, it's money in a confidence bank. So every time I hosted something and someone would say, oh, you were really funny or you were good or you're confident or you're in my head, I'm thinking I am not funny, I am not good, I am not confident, I am not with you. But somehow I've managed to make these people think I am. Oh, I'm going to try and do it again. You know, like it's, and even now, even now I hosted a huge corporate gig and it was off the toes of um, Shane Jacobson had been the host the year before. And I remember thinking, I have got such big shoes to fill. Shane Jacobson, I adore and think is one of the most funniest, adorable MCs in the country. And at the end of the gig, and I don't get that many corporate gigs at the moment, or I didn't because, you know, doing breakfast radio hours, it's just hard and, and not living in Sydney and Melbourne where most of those gigs are being in Brisbane and Gold Coast based, you sort of get off the radar of that sort of work quite often. And um, it sort of stays in a niche little group of people. So I was so stoked to get that gig in the first place. And I remember coming off stage and everyone was saying, you were great. You were so funny. Oh, you were fantastic. And honestly, even after all these years of hosting so many events, I still didn't believe them. I was like, yeah, nah. Oh, thanks. Oh, mm. thank you. That's so lovely of you to say that. Bullshit. 
bullshit. Like, I just didn't believe them. So still to this day, a lot of it is bravado. And do you still sometimes um, early on in my career, and sometimes I still catch myself doing it, but I'm getting a lot better at it now, thank God, I, I would stay awake at night just dissecting every single part of my performance and critiquing it to myself. Did you ever do that? Look, I am going to say I haven't really been that person to do that. But again, that's because I'm in denial. Because what I'll do is once the gig's over, and again, I learned that from dad, he's very much, um, once it's down the stick, you know that radio saying, oh, it's up the stick. Once it's up the stick, like yeah. the really old radio saying, it's up the stick, meaning it's been, it's gone. No one, it's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. And if any, if dad instilled any confidence in me on stage without realizing it, as far as being technical goes, it's that. Because he said, Nah, mate, gig's over, it's all done. Because, you know, someone might say to him, oh, Izzy, you forgot to mention the such and such client or you didn't mention that sponsor and he'd go, ah, well, mate, never mind, it's done now. And he really never let himself, it was almost an arrogance of, ah, well, it's over now. He refused and my grandma's like that too, so maybe he got that from her. She's very I love it though. It's like an early lesson in mindfulness, isn't it? It is. It's like, oh, well, it's over and I'm so glad because I do have OCD and I am the type of person that will go over and over stuff it's funny and I'm really lucky that that hasn't been something that I go over and over there are other things that I will ruminate over forever but um a gig I don't um unless I've really made a boo-boo like if I literally come off stage and they go um you forgot to thank the main sponsors (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm the type of person though that will just grab the mic come on stage tell the band guys can you can you stop can you stop the music for a second? Guys, I'm so sorry. <laughs> One tequila too many backstage. Totally forgot to thank Makona Coffee. Can we have a round of applause for Makona Coffee? <laughs> and then I'll get back off stage. Like I don't have any shame. So I think a little bit of confidence has to come from not having any shame. I am a little bit shameless and I have to say that my shamelessness has worked wonders for me and it's also not been so great you know, because I'm also shameless in telling, you know, a boss that I'm not a fan. <laughs> and that so hasn't always is, gone this down. This is something well. I really wanted to explore with you is that I've always felt that you've had such a strong sense of who you are and oh. who you want to be and how you want to be in the world. And you are like, what you see is what you get. You're the same person on air, off air, privately, publicly. You just bring your whole self to everything you do. Um, one of the ways that you've been described is as the girl next door and the siren rolled into one which I love. I love. I'm so getting that on a t-shirt. <laughs> the girl next door and the siren. You know, I remember um, a very, very, very good um, program director by the name of Dan Bradley, who we've both worked with, said, yeah. you know, in radio, when you're a chick, you got to be the one that the girls want to have a coffee with and the guys want to root. <laughs> oh, God. And I remember thinking, righto, I'll take that. I'll take that because he goes, B-Dye, you've got it. Guys, guys want to root you and girls want to have a coffee with you. And I'm like, well, I've made it then, haven't I? <laughs> Dan, Dan would be cringing if we were to, if he knew we were telling you. He would and Dan Bradley, who, well, of course he'll listen to this because he's such a fan, only kidding. Um, no, but I'll say that with love because he, he was right in a way. You, you need to be appealing. You can't, you know, your personality can't be too polarising in radio. You've got to be the one that the chicks do want to sit around and do yoga and have a green tea with nowadays and the one that the guys 
possibly follow on Instagram to be a little bit more politically correct these days. So transitioning from the circus into your amazing career in radio and TV, and you've written a bloody book, Bianca, like is there nothing you haven't done? Um, Where did you get to from the circus to now? How How did that all happen? And it seemed like you had a really strong sense of who you are back when you were a ringmaster as well. You were the same person then that you are today. It's funny because I guess, I guess I did have a strong sense of self, but I can't own it. I can't. I can't bullshit to people that are listening because I want them to know that, you know, I, I always worry that my social media makes me out to be far more confident and fabulous and together. And I really wish that I could be more honest on my Instagram. Like I wish I could tell people on my Instagram that Jay and I had such a huge fight this morning that I basically lost my shit and said, I don't want to be with you anymore. Get out of the house. And I'm not saying that to be a drama queen. I'm saying that because I get so many people saying, you've got the best life. Look at your beautiful little blended family and you're so successful and you're so confident. And I'm like, yes, I am. I have a lot of that great Mm. stuff going on, but I also have just as much of the crap that everyone else does. And I wish I could share more, but for the sake of privacy and sanity for Jay's side of the family, I can't. I can't always share when we've had a Barney, even though I want to so my followers know that I'm just like them and that COVID has been almost a breakup for us because we've been in each other's faces for so long that we want to kill each other. Um, oh, honestly, so- B, this is the big reason why I wanted to start this podcast yes. and why I wanted to start this whole Claiming Your Confidence yes. movement is because we all have these issues and People just see, especially with social media, they see the glossy end product. And with me working in TV, like I get an hour and a half of makeup, I get dressed by stylists, and it's my job to look confident on the news. So of course I do. But we ha- we all have the same struggles and we've all had to take the steps to get to where we are today. So I kind of wanted to just lift the curtain a little and show everyone that we're all struggling with this together and we've all got these little hacks that have helped us take the next step up the staircase. Look, don't lift the curtain too high because I had a bad <laughs> laser job on my fanny in 2001 and they've never grown back properly. So, and you, you've had the, you, hang on, I've got to get it together. You've also had your vagina steam cleaned. Yes, I had a <laughs> on vagina, radio. I had a vajayjay steaming, a la Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, what do they call it? Not a mutt steam. I um, a, oh god, <laughs> no, I can't remember what it's called. But Gwyneth Paltrow, the things you do for radio. It was when I was at Gold FM, and I went and had a um. No, sorry, it was at 97.3 Breakfast. My bad. It was 97.3 Breakfast. And they sent me off to do um, uh, the things you do. But I love it. That's This is the part of radio I love because you get to experience some really cool and not so cool things. Um, and it's basically you sit over a toilet and there's like herbs and they steam it and it's meant to, like, <laughs> it's meant to cleanse your womb and get rid of all the negative energy. And I'm like, can you get rid of that guy from 2004? <laughs> anyway, moving on. So... Okay, so it's a long, oh, my God, it's such a long way. So from so from Marilyn Monroe impersonator to circus performer to now, I basically, look, I was really persistent. I Maybe my intuition knew that I probably wasn't going to get on TV. I remember doing acting classes. I wanted to be a journalist like yourself, Katrina B. I wanted to mm. be a journo, and I thought that was going to be my way into TV And because I, I love news and I love to current affairs and I loved the TV. So I thought, well, being a journalist is combining all of those. And um, I went and did 
well, as you know, I didn't finish doing my studies, but I thought there's other ways in. And there is other ways in. Like I did work experience at Channel 10 when Larry Emder was there and he was making coffee for people and I was photocopying stuff for people, you know. So there's ways in, although times have changed. It's not quite <laughs> easy anymore. But um, so I did some um, acting classes. Now, if anyone is old enough to remember the show Skippy and Tony Bonner, who was the helicopter pilot in Skippy, he was an acting coach on the Gold Coast and I'll never forget him saying to me, and look, God love him because we're still friends to this day and he was just being honest, but he said, Bianca, you're far too expressive to to read the news. Like you're too (laughs) dramatic. You're too over the top. Facial expressions are too much. And he said, I don't even know if you're going to be able to do acting because, and if you've seen my dad, I've obviously just copied my dad. I am so expressive. My face looks like I'm having it looks like I have Tourette's sometimes when I'm playing. I'm not kidding. I hate looking at myself on video. I hate it because my face contorts and I look like, but I'm not aware I'm doing it. I, on my mother's life, I'm not even aware I'm doing it. I've obviously just watched my dad be this super expressive person and, and my mum. My mum's super expressive as well. So I don't know where I got it from, but I did. I used to watch back the videos and think, oh, I can't. You, he's bloody right. I, how am I going to tell you? Know, they do the big close-ups for the big intimate scenes and I look like I was having a spasm. <laughs> and it was like, I can't do this. So when you said to me, maybe you should look at um, radio and a lot of people oh. said, you've got a nice voice, why don't you? And then, so then I started spruiking. So for those who don't know, spruiking is so classy. It's when you walk around with a small speaker and a microphone and you might stand outside Clem's Butcher and you'll tell everybody that Clem's Sausages half price today ladies half price See, today this ladies is amazing that takes so much confidence to stand out there you know and do what? that I, now that you say that it bloody does and I actually think so when Rabina Town Centre first opened and it's huge I was hired as their official spruker for eight weeks I spruked six hours a day every day wow getting my 30 bucks an hour I thought I was just I was on a high I was like this is so exciting and I wore my Q suit with my little blue scarf around my neck. Oh, stylish. I thought I was the bee's knees. And I went, you're right though, because it did give me this confidence because you know what you had to do? You had to ad lib. I would stand outside Suzanne's and go, now ladies, (laughs) I used to say things because there'd be no one around and I'd say things to entertain myself. So I'd be like, ladies, um, if you don't know if you want to wear long pants or shorts, there are pants that are in between. I don't know if you know this, but they're called culottes. <laughs> Have you ever not been able to make up your mind, ladies, and you didn't want to wear long, you didn't want to wear short? Well, Suzanne's has your answer. Culottes. So oh, many culottes in all different colours. And people, so what I used to do was, because I loved to laugh and I was an attention seeker from an early age, I used to do these little performances outside the shops and people would stop and listen to what I was saying and laugh. And I remember one day this guy said, you should be in radio, you're funny. And I remember thinking, fuck yes, radio, of course. Oh, my God. And I'd been listening to CFM and all I ever wanted to do was be on the CFM breakfast show. And I remember listening to Suki Mead and Dean Miller and she was this husky, foul-mouthed, bloody no-filter, hilarious, spoke-as-she-saw-it, down-to-earth chick. And Dino was similar, you know, just funny and I just love them. They were a really great breakfast show and I used to listen to them on the way to work on the way to school in the car for like the eight minute ride to school you know and I remember thinking oh my god I'd love to do what she did and so thus begun my journey I started doing voiceovers for CFM when I was 20 
I think, 2021. And I met a guy called Rod Bryce who changed the direction of my life. One of the most beautiful men in radio, still working in radio, just giving kind oh my God, I just wish everyone that I had ever worked for was Rob Bryce because I would be a different person now. I would have grown a lot more. I wouldn't have had so many shitty, I would have had much less freaking therapy. He was just a giver and he was he he loved me for who I was and he wanted my talent to shine. He didn't want to, me to be something I wasn't and he didn't want me to um, edit myself too much, although he would always tell me when I went too far because I did push the envelope and I used to do really cheeky things on air eventually and he would always let me know all right that might be a little bit much B but he'd give me a wink and a nudge and he did it in a way that didn't make me feel bad I just knew to pull back wow how special to have somebody who believed in you but also let you blossom into who you really are what I did thank god I did because I don't know if I would have been the confident radio announcer I am now if I hadn't had him in the very early days to nurture really really nurture me Um, because there are so many misogynist dickheads in this industry uh, and I say that so vaguely that no one will ever know what I'm talking about. Um, (laughs) Guess who don't sue. (laughs) Could be anybody from any time, any year. I've been in this industry for 30 years so take your guess, peeps. But um, it's just one of those things where he was so beautiful and lovely that I fell in love with radio and so I started to go into the studio at CFM at the Seabank building there in Southport and I record voiceovers for them and I do little snippets and I'd just be a guest on a show, you know, like they'd get me in to do a two-minute spot. I don't even know what, you know, what I did. Um, and then eventually a guy called Dave Charles who was working with, um, it was RG Capital back in those days, Reg Grundy Capital, He Dave Charles got wind of me and we became mates and he's like a what you call a consultant to radio stations, which is an F word for most radio stations, but he's a consultant and he used to tell people who they should hire and all that kind of stuff. And he sent me in, by this stage, Dean Miller was working with the late, beautiful, so sad, Sammy Power. Mm. Um, Very sad that we've lost her. She was an amazing woman. But anyway, so Sammy and Dean, and I went in and did a demo for them. And I did like a, like they said, just read the showbiz news for us and we'll talk to you about the showbiz news. And so I just went in and did that. And that was my very first bit on radio. It went for two minutes. They gave me the tape and that was my demo reel. And oh, I said wow. that to Rod Bryce and I said, I've done this. And then he said, right, we're going to get you a job. And I remember spruiking at the Oasis Shopping Centre in Broadbeach and my mobile phone had a missed call. I mean, sorry, my brick had a missed yeah. call. <laughs> it was literally <laughs> as big as my arm, this phone. And I remember going to the booth and ringing uh, the phone booth because I didn't want to actually use my mobile because it was too expensive. So going to the phone booth to ring Rod Bryce and he said, look, I've got a job for you. And I went, yep, I'll take it. And he went, no, no, you haven't heard where it is yet. I said, I don't care. I'll take it. So I was that excited to work in radio. I didn't give a shit where it was. And it turned out to be Harvey Bay slash Maribra. Oh, and it was a wow. State, a radio station, SCA own it now, but it was like 4MB. It was 4MB AM. It was an AM station. And I went out there and I was their nighttime love songs after dark announcer and their promotions manager. And I used to pop in on breakfast and do <laughs> the showbiz. <laughs> So to any of these wow. bags, millennials who are working, you know, as a Casanova going, I want my first job to be in Sydney, get fucked, go and work hard and do what everyone else had to. I get so angry at these little millennials who just think because you do a podcast that you should be on national radio, please just go and do the work. And if you're really talented and you work hard, you will get discovered and it will happen for you. I truly believe that talent and cream do rise to the top. 
But if you have an attitude and an ego, then just keep doing your podcast and don't want to get into radio because it's so frustrating. I see all these kids all the time going, I just want to work in Sydney. And I'm like, yeah, well, there's a whole other world out there besides Sydney, by the way. Well, Um, absolutely talent and cream do rise to the top and you did make it to Sydney and you became the only female radio presenter to win Best Radio Personality. You're the three-time winner of Australia's Best Radio Personality. You You beat Radio King John Laws at one point, which is just insane. I remember around that time I was um, looking around for a manager and he said to me, Katrina, no one likes a woman in radio who's funny or has an opinion, yet you have always been both of those things and clearly it has always worked so well for you. So for you, you you were a solo act then in Sydney when you won all those incredible awards. Let me... can I just jump in because I don't want to, I have to, I, I can't own that. What, what it is is I'm the only female, and actually I think I still am. I don't think anyone's beaten it. I'm the only female to win best entertainment slash music personality oh. two years in a row. So no one's, and I was nominated for the third year. So lots of women have won it, but no one's won it two years in a row. That I know of. Um Maybe Kate Ritchie. I don't know. I don't think she has. I think someone else won it. Anyway, it was just a weird, it was a weird kind of a, a a label to have, but I did win it two years in a row. And I remember I was up for it third year and bloody Jabber won it. And he worked with us at Nova and I just had to pretend I was happy for him, but I hated him. <laughs> and but you have like, been. You have a trailblazer for women in radio and for women in radio to both be funny and have an opinion. So where did that confidence come from to just go in there and be yourself? Again, I think it's because um, I think it's because I had so much great nurturing early on. And I think because I was quite ballsy and a lot of the time, oh, mind you, I used to listen to the Sammy, Sammy Powers and the, and the, and the um, Suki Meads and people like Kerry Ann Kennelly growing up with, and they were pretty feisty and they spoke their mind. My mum's feisty. My mum speaks her mind. So is my dad. So I guess I have that background anyway. You know, I come from a feisty kind of family. Um, But also I I guess I was like Pavlov's dog. I just kept getting rewarded for that behaviour. You know, like every, like people would say to me, like all the press that came out about me when I was at Nova was always, you know, she's feisty, she's this, she's that. And so I guess in a way, I just kept living up to that. Like that fed the monster, so to speak, (laughs) because, you know, I can't own, look, we were very lucky and we were in a very unique situation there with Nova where we got publicity if we farted simply because Nova was so new, so fresh, so exciting. You know, it was almost like by default, every time I went out, I'd have my photo in the paper because I was so excited because it was Nova. Do you know what I mean? And you were there, you yeah. were part of all that. And you know, in a way, I got a lot more publicity than say someone else might have in the, in the game doing the same thing, simply because I was part of the biggest thing in radio for 25 years. And I kind of jumped on board that it wasn't necessarily me. But because I've always come from a bit of a hustling background, and because I'm so good at doing my own PR, like if I was out somewhere and I bumped into a publicist, and she'd say, oh, I've got this event coming up, I'd turn and go, who have you got hosting it? Like that was just instinctual. I'm like Mike Goldman. I couldn't, you know, I just put myself out there, you know. I'd just say, oh, I'll host it for you. Or, oh, Richard Branson's coming to town. American Ross, I don't want to interview him. I'll do it. 
know See, what I, mean? I love that. I love that about you. And I've learned so much by being around you. You are never afraid to go for what you want and put yourself forward for opportunities. Whereas I, um, I've always been a bit hesitant. And I think a lot of women are, they're, they're quite hesitant to do that because they're worried about how they're going to be perceived. Yes. Or, you know, you know what, yeah. you know what? what advice have you in? got? I want to jump in and say that I do before I think. So let me, um, I, I don't always think it's a good thing. Like I, I am very outspoken. I have done and said things even in the last 12 months that I definitely regret because I'm so outspoken and because I speak my mind and I look back and think, shit, I probably should have just taken five minutes and gone and done a breathing meditation and then come back and dealt with that situation. You know, so there, there, I have to say that although my feistiness and my shamelessness has gotten me so many cool gigs, um, you know, I talked my way onto the first Virgin flight from Brisbane to LA with Richard Branson and Denny Hines and Mike Goldman and all this pack of celebrities. And I don't know how I got myself on that flight. You know what I mean? Like I was a D-grade celeb at best. And yet here I was always front and centre at all these cool events. And yes, it was because I was a hustler and I wasn't ashamed to say, hey, I'll come or hey, let me come because I'll mention it on the radio and, you know, they knew who I was, blah, blah, blah. I was definitely, I definitely used and abused my position. But I have to say that with that, chutzpah also comes a downside. I've also lost friends. Um, you know, I've also really upset co-workers and probably lost gigs, if I'm honest, because I am so honest. Would I go back and do it again and not be honest? No. I, I would go back. Yes, I would. I'd go back. I'd still be honest, but I'd probably do it in a way that wasn't quite so brazen. So, mm. you know, there's lots of fruit from being that ballsy, but <laughs> there's also a lot of fruit being pegged at you when you're that <laughs> ballsy. So, you know, and I was a solo performer and also I was getting bored at Nova because I was, I felt that I'd outgrown just being a, a normal shift person, you know, just doing a music shift. And Dean Buchanan, who funnily enough is back in my life now and who I adore and has been such an inspiration to me my whole career because he's always told me, you know, he's always told me like it is and been very honest with me. He said to me, um, you know, you really did rewrite the part, rewrite the path and blaze trails, for, especially, yes, for women in radio because you took a shift that was supposed to be just a morning music shift and you basically turned it into a mini breakfast show slash drive show because you, you did, like American Rosso, God bless them, because they were still so Triple J in the early years at Nova they used to turn down a few interviews because they just didn't want to be seen as commercial whores. And I totally get that. And that's what made them so popular. And that was very smart on their behalf, whether they meant that or not. But what it meant was I quite often would get the interviews that they didn't want or um, because I came on after them, you know, it was a simple default. And also, you know, when Richie Sambora is walking past the studio and you've got some 27-year-old chick there like me with my boobs out wearing some sexy outfit on the radio with knee-high boots on in a miniskirt, you know, panelling and totally winks at Richie Sambora as he's walking past and he goes, <laughs> hey, babe, what's going on? And I'm like, come in. I all of a sudden get an exclusive with Richie Sambora that the record company are looking at me going, what's she fucking doing? But I had no shame. <laughs> and I'll be like, come in, Richie, come in. And next minute I'm doing a 10-minute interview with Richie Sambora. So American Rosso had him, but then so did Bianca Dye. And that only happened because I just, like my dad, I just had this chutzpah where I thought, do first, think later. And again, you know, a little bit like Kyle Sandlin's in the sense that 
I often used to say if I was a female, I would be where Kyle is. I'm sorry, if I was a male, I'd be where Kyle is right now. And what's very mm. difficult for radio is when you are an outspoken female, a lot of it, people in the past have said to me, we don't know where to fit you. We don't know what to do with you. Whereas someone like Kyle becomes the biggest sensation in radio and paid the most that's ever been paid. But yet when I acted like that, it was like, you're a bit outspoken. It was like, oh, wow. <laughs> We've got a long way to go in radio for equality. All right. Now I want to go back to you getting your boobs out now because you've done something which I actually honestly don't think I would ever have the confidence to do and I know a lot of other women wouldn't either and that is you have posed nude in a magazine <laughs> talk us through how that all happened oh boy the Madison the Madison magazine um issue about you know celebrities posing nude to to show people what was going on so I'd gone from being the girl on the radio that was you know FHM sexiest woman in radio I was like a size 10 at the best and you know, I was running around like a chook with my head cut off and I I wasn't really healthy. I was just skinny, I think, because I was busy and I didn't really stop to eat much. And when I did eat, it probably wasn't healthy. Um, I would have, you know, champagne for dinner at some, you know, event at the Metro watching a new band, you know, and that was the life I led um, when I was first at Nova. I was single. I'd get picked up in limos to go and check out bands because they wanted us to plug their new single on the radio the next day. Like it was a, it was rock and roll. It was really fun and I'm very grateful for it. And I, I don't take any of it for granted at all. But it all, all good things have to come to an end. And look, all sorts of stuff happened, but I ended up needing to be on antidepressants. Um, I'd been in a relationship that was shit. Um, there was just stuff going on in my life and I put on weight. and. I wasn't really that big either. I was probably a 14, you know. I'm a 14 now and, and happily a 14 and, and go up to a 16 sometimes and can't wait to get back to a 14, whereas then I thought I was the fattest person in the world at 14, which is disgraceful and just goes to show where my head was at. Absolute insanity. Um, and I'd, they said, we want you to be really honest. And I said, well, look, I guess I'm happy to do a nude shoot, but... Um, I'm going to have to be honest and say the reason I've put on the weight is because I'm on antidepressants and they were like, yeah, we want you to talk about all of that. So there was lots of people in this shoot. Um, Fiona Faulkner, beautiful um, plus-size model Fiona Faulkner who'd been on Big Brother, or no, The Biggest Loser or one of those shows and, you know, Tiffany from Bardot, where, you know, was like, where is she now? And um, Annalise Brackenseek, the late Annalise Brackenseek. And they were sort of showing, you know, size 10 right up to like a size 18. I can't remember if Casey Donovan was in that one or not. Anyway, it was lots of fabulous chicks. And there ended up being a bit of controversy after it because it wasn't airbrushed. They only air, the only thing they airbrushed is that one of my nipples, you could see one of my nipples and they decided they didn't want to show that. So they airbrushed my hair extension so that it would cover my nipple. But that was mm-hmm. it. The rest of it is all me. Cellulite, rolls of fat, all me. Was that confronting to see that in a magazine? You know what? It was, but because I'm such an exhibitionist, there's a part of me, I always say there's two parts, there's two sides to me. There's the me that's showbiz me. Oh, God, sorry. There's showbiz me. Edit. There's showbiz me that, um, you know, doesn't, I can look at myself. I always used to say I look at myself as a product that I'm promoting. So I could open that magazine, see myself naked and not see me. I'd see Bianca Dye, the product. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I know that sounds a bit like I was, it was a desensitization of myself, I think. I really could look back and, and not think of it like that. But then when I'd look at it as me, I'd panic. I'd go, oh, my God, what have I done? What the fuck was I thinking? 
Mm. Oh my God. And my family and everyone was like, why did you feel the need to do that? And I'm like, well, I just, I, I guess I, bought, I just want women to know that they're not alone. And that's always been my shtick. And I think now that's my catchphrase. But back then I didn't even really know. I just knew that I wanted other people to not feel alone and to know that if you're on antidepressants because you put on weight or whatever the reason is because you're in a bad relationship and you're eating your soul, you know, then that's okay. That's that's just where you're at right now, but that's not where you have to stay and that's not where you'll be forever. Gosh, and I, and to- I just love that you have continued on with that philosophy with other things that you've done, which must have felt really vulnerable at the time, uh, like sharing your story of anxiety and becoming a real mental health advocate and also sharing all your fertility struggles. Um, yeah. Uh, like really personal stuff that you've you've shared um but I know that a lot of it's resonated with so many women yeah it has and I think that's been the pill that kept me going because in the beginning when you work in radio and when you've lived a public eye life as I have since I was 21 and I don't say that to sound like a wanker I just have I've been in radio and public life since I was 21 and it was very different when you were 21 but you still got in the paper and people still talked about you so I've always been the person that's been happy to share more than normal. I've always been an oversharer because when you're on radio and you're the sidekick of a of a radio show, quite often you're the one that's expected to overshare. And so I have always been that role, if that makes sense anyway. So when it came to sharing in print, it was like, well, I already talk about this on the radio. You know what I mean? And you'd understand that too with all the years of radio and having to, um, you do talk about your private life. And so thus, sometimes if it would roll out into then you know a magazine ringing you and saying oh we heard you talking on the radio about your um about your miscarriage could we do a feature on you I'd be like well yeah sure I guess I mean I've already talked about it publicly so it didn't feel that scary seeing it come out was hard sometimes because it would I'd relive the pain Mm. but you know with my third miscarriage most recently and I ended up having to have about four weeks off the breakfast show initially it was only two because I had to have um you know, with some miscarriages, you actually have to go in and get everything sort of taken out, cleaning it out, so to speak. I can't remember the technical term for it, like a curette. Mm. Um, but I didn't heal as quickly as I thought I would. And I thought I'd be fine. Boom. Back to performing Bianca. I'm going to be back on the radio. I'm going to be fun. I'm going to be funny on Monday. Monday came around. I was a mess. I was mentally a mess and I was just physically a mess and I wasn't ready. And I, I ended up needing four weeks off and I was very lucky that my employers were really understanding and let me and let me do that without any pressure to come back to work. So that was I'll always be grateful for that. Um, and but I have to say, Katrina, the um, when I talked about it, I didn't at first, but then I put something up on social media because I thought, oh look, there's no point trying to be all. Let's keep it to myself now. I've lived my whole life in the open. I'm just going to share it. I don't have a problem with sharing it. I don't care who knows. I'm going to talk about it when I get back on air anyway, because otherwise everyone's going to say, where have you been for the last four weeks? Of course, I'm going to be honest and say what happened. I just felt that that was just, that's just who I am. And you know what? To those who don't want to share, I I send you a hug and, I, and I'm for that as well. There are so many that don't want to share because you're in the public eye and you share enough. You know what I mean? So yeah. for anyone listening to this who's gone through a miscarriage or whatever and hasn't talked about it on air or anything like that, that's okay too. That's That's more than okay. It's just that was me. For me, it was cathartic to share because I felt the biggest hug from our listeners, it was incredible. Um, and look, Jay and I even had an argument one day because he said, God, you, you, I was 
up until like two in the morning replying back to personal messages. I've got mm. hundreds and hundreds of messages on Facebook from listeners, random people I've never met in my life who were telling me their intimate stories of miscarriage, IVF, Oh my God. And I, I still to this day haven't got through them all. I, I just couldn't. And I apologize if anyone's listening. I couldn't. There were so many and it was so harrowing, some of the stories. But the fact that people thought they could share that with me made me feel so good. It made me feel like I was doing my job in helping people feel that they're not alone, whether it's being on antidepressants, whether it's weight loss, whether it's weight gain, whether it's miscarriages, whether it's IVF. We're all on this bloody path together and none of us get out alive. We all end up six foot under in a casket. So let's just try and help each other through by being as transparent as we can so that we don't all feel alone. I know that I get the most strength when I know that other women are going through what I am. I looked in the mirror the other day and thought, oh, my God, I'm getting old. And then I thought, but all my beautiful girlfriends are getting old too. We're all getting old together. And what a blessing that we get to grow old. How lucky are we? Yeah. Um, so you sharing, feel, it with, sounds like you really feel like you've stepped into your purpose with yeah, I having watched like, it. I, I really want to be a light worker and that sounds so wanky, but I don't care. I found out what a light worker was a couple of years ago and I thought that's what I want to be, you know, someone who helps other people shine and you're a light worker, whether you want to call it that or not, but you are because of what you're doing and, you, and helping people claim their confidence is helping them shine their light. And there's lots of people out there doing light worker kind of stuff on the radio, on TV, on podcasts, on Instagram. And the authentic ones stand out like dog's balls to me and I adore them. Um, and I love it because I think when people come up to me and say, oh, thank you for sharing your story. I, I, I showed it to my daughter who had a miscarriage and she just smiled and said, oh, and she just felt so much better knowing that, well, if someone like Bianca can get through it, I can too. And I thought, fuck, if that's just done that for one person, then my job's done here, you know? That's amazing. All right, we're coming to the end of our chat together. So I'm going to give you some quick rapid fire questions now to finish this off. Okay. For any women listening to you now, what would be your go-to confidence hack? What's one piece of advice that you can give any women who might be feeling like they want to kind of live a bolder, braver life, but they just don't know where to start? Fake it till you make it and believe that the wings will be there when you jump because they will. And if they're not there at the beginning, they will they will push through. Your wings will push through. Don't not do something because you're not confident. Just give it a try. Oh, my gosh, I Isn't love that. That just makes it sound so simple, though. I hate that because if someone is terrified, like, of getting up in public speaking and me saying that, oh, just fake it till you make it, but... I think it's true. That's how I did it. I was terrified. I am still terrified, but I would have notes. Like I would have so many notes. I would get up on stage with heaps of notes and I wouldn't end up using any of them. But just knowing that I had all those notes on stage with me gave me confidence. And and I once had somebody say to me, instead of sitting there and obsessing over every possible thing that could go wrong, why don't you think instead about everything that could go right? Yep. Another really good thing to do is visualize the end of the event. So about half an hour before you have to emcee your best friend's wedding or talk in front of, you know, all the people at work, do a little two-minute visualization in the toilet if you have to where you actually visualize people patting you on the back and saying to you what a great job you've done and let yourself feel it even if it's for 15 seconds. That is an incredible hack that I have read from the greats of Abraham Hicks, um, Anthony Robbins, Louise L. Hay, Gabby Bernstein, all the greats, 
they all say, and they have since the beginning of self-help time, feel it to see it. I'm a massive fan of visualising and I do this before every event and I, I lean into the feeling and I actually smile while I'm thinking of it. Yes. It's such a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. All right, is there a particular, I know you're a big reader, but is there a particular book that you've read or even a favourite inspirational quote that's helped you on your way in your confidence journey? There's one in front of me right now because there's so many. I mean, oh, my God, there's so many. Um Untamed by Glennon Doyle, I kind of like for, for some reasons. Um, it's not for everybody, um, but I don't mind Untamed by Glennon Doyle. Um, from Panic to Power is a really good one for a, for people that get anxiety. It's called From Panic to Power. Um, Ask and It Is Given by um, Esther and Abraham Hicks was a game changer for me. Um, another amazing book, Light is the New Black. Um, by Rebecca Campbell absolutely love that book and bought it for all my girlfriends about five Christmases ago it's called Light. oh my gosh I'm going to put all these in the show notes for everyone as well there's so many but the quote is don't overthink it just start because for me I overthink to the point where I am frozen with anxiety and I don't even start well this leads me into my next uh, question what would others describe as your most annoying habit Bianca this is where you get your best up My bloody phone. I'm so sorry. Actually, I used to get in trouble because I used to have it on in the studio all the time. And I have reminders in my phone like ring RACQ, meditate, buy green, sharpen, like everything in my phone. Anal. Like I write notes and notes. I've got more post-it notes than anyone I know and they're all over my house. So my OCD is alive and well and it can drive me crazy. Um, I think my annoying habit also is that sometimes I'm a bit, abrasive and I don't stop to think about people's feelings like I'll just send a text or I'll just be a little bit too honest about a situation that may have happened and then I think not everyone has thick skin like me and let me say I don't always have thick skin by the way sometimes I'm the most sensitive person in the room but I think because I did grow up with a dad that was so I'm gonna say hard on me tough love um, sometimes I, I forget that not everyone had that tough love and had a chance to get that thick skin. And so sometimes I say things and then I, I look back later and go, yeah, I probably could have handled that a bit better. So, <laughs> and that's probably something I'll keep doing for the rest of my life. I'm still learning. I'm just hoping that I'm starting to learn a bit quicker. <laughs> but you're aware of it. So that's, that's I a, am, but an I amazing still, place to I start. I'm an asshole. <laughs> All right, what's your secret superpower? Now, this is something that people don't know about you. So for me, I'm a legend at hanging pictures on the wall. You know, like, like those gallery formations yeah. where you have to have them spaced apart? I don't even need to measure them. Never <laughs> do. I just put nails straight in the wall and I get it right first time every go. What's oh my yours? God, I love that. Oh, God, what's my secret superpower? Um. I can put together a collage for Instagram in under two minutes. Whoa. I'm kidding. I mean, I don't know. I can. I'm very quick on Instagram now. Um, what am I good at? Oh, God. Um, that's I think that's a great skill set because I should yeah, be better at more things. Um, you're really good at um, posting images on, on Instagram and I've often wondered where you find the time to do this and now well, I know. Okay, you know what, though? I do do it really quickly. So I have had people say to me, my God, you're on all the time. And I'm like, I'm actually not. I'm just, I can do a post. Like Jay and I could be walking from the car park to an event. Okay. I'll give you an example. 
this is a superpower. We could be walking from the car park to, say, the opening of a new musical at QPAC, and I will have selfied myself in front of the musical poster, shared it, <laughs> hashtagged it, and made sure the PR people have it and the QPAC people, and I've tagged the radio station, and it's up posted before I've sipped my champagne and sat down <laughs> for the opening number. Okay? That's and Jay will look at me and go, when the fuck did you do that? And I'll go, um, walking up the stairs. I'm really good at it. I'm quick because I know the PR companies want you to get it out there as quickly as possible. I am a PR person's dream. <laughs> That's right. my superpower. Woo-hoo! Second last question. What do you do for pure joy? God. See, you're, you're about to open a can of worms for me because I'm at that stage in my life where this has become very important to me but it never used to be. I used to get off on a diary that was full of things I should do and what I should get done and very little stuff that to Marie Kondo it sparked joy in my life. And so you even saying that to me has reminded me it's a beautiful day, it's sunny, and I still have not got outside in the sunshine. So for pure joy, I will put my ear pods in, I will go out into the park, I will let the sun beat down on my face and I will listen to a podcast or something that's interesting and just go for a walk. You know, I know it sounds simple. I meditate as much as I can, sometimes twice a day, sometimes once every two days, but I bought a little meditation stool and I just listen to pan flute music and I just sit there and breathe and I just try and be in the moment because um, so many of us don't know how to do that and we're running on empty, you know. Definitely. And finally, I would love for you to finish this sentence, crystal ball gazing time. Okay. In in 10 years from now, I would love to be. Hosting my own national radio show where I get to inspire women daily. Oh, how amazing. Well, you've inspired me today. Thank (laughs) you so much, Bianca. Oh, thank you. Isn't Bianca so beautiful, warm and real? I always feel so uplifted whenever I catch up with her. She always inspires me to not hold back on shining a light on my talents and talk about courage being contagious whenever I'm feeling weird about putting myself forward for something or blowing my own trumpet. She gives me the courage to not shrink back in the shadows because you never know who might need to hear what you have to say. And mostly, I just love her playful attitude of giving things a go and having a laugh at herself. I'm not sure if I'll ever pose nude, but I freaking love that she has. And I think if we all took ourselves a little less seriously and found the joy in new challenges, we'd all have the ability to put a bit more confidence in our confidence bank. If you found some inspiration in this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you hit subscribe now and leave me a five-star review. And because we are a brand new podcast, I'd be so grateful if you can help us get some cut through and get the word out there by taking a screenshot, sharing and tagging Bianca at Bianca Die on Instagram. And of course me, my handle is Katrina Blowers or the Instagram account claiming your confidence. And please share this episode with anyone you know who would benefit from hearing Bianca's story and her incredible confidence tips. I hope you're having a great week. Until next time, thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.